Welcome to EQ Minds Recharge Your Mental Health Podcast. I'm Chelsea Pottinger, the host of this show, and today we have on Sarah Davidson, used to be a lawyer, turned for entrepreneur, and she's the founder of Matcha Maiden, Matcha Milk Bar, and the very successful Seize the Yay podcast. Our podcast today is proudly brought to you by Chili Technology. And without further ado, let's bring on Sarah Davidson to our show. So I'm absolutely thrilled to have Sarah Davidson on our podcast today. And I found out about Sarah from Danny Kennedy, who said, Chels, you have to start listening to CZA podcast. And he was right. It is absolutely awesome. And then the more I looked into Sarah's story, I absolutely loved how you went from rogue student to ducks of your school. And then lawyer turned front entrepreneur to matcha maiden to a very successful vegan cafe, matcha milk bar. And now you're just kicking absolute butt with your amazing podcast called Seize the Yay. So Sarah, welcome to our show today. Thank you so much for having me. It is always so funny to hear someone else say it. It sounds so much more fancy and <laughs> legit when someone else reads out your bio in your own brain. It's just sort of like, yeah, you know, I've done a few things. <laughs> It's incredible and, and no one sees the hard work a lot of the time of these entrepreneurs of what you do behind the scenes. And so I thought let's start there, you know, the start of Matcha Maiden and hanging out in your commercial kitchen, doing all the hard work at the start because people don't, sometimes don't see that, you know, behind the scenes. And I'd love to know what keeps you going through the tough days because as entrepreneurs we definitely have them and as corporate professionals I know people have tough days. How do you keep going day in, day out? What gets you through? That's such a good question, Chels. I think one of the things that drove the idea to turn the business experience into a podcast collection of conversations was the fact that no one really was voicing those behind-the-scenes challenges. It always looks like an overnight success. It's usually decades in the making. And also, you know, you and I have already touched on the fact that both of our journeys have been, you know, heavily affected by mental health challenges. But aside from that, every entrepreneur and every person has a total roller coaster experience of life. Not every day can be smooth. And there are lots of, lots of down moments behind the scenes that are really challenging for various reasons, for self-doubt, for burnout, exhaustion, just losing momentum, particularly in ISO. It's been really difficult, of course, to maintain the same levels of motivation. I find my former approach coming from a very A-type, very outcome-driven legal mergers and acquisitions background, my initial approach, I've never found motivation difficult. It's always flowed quite freely. But on the days where I couldn't kind of get myself going, my former approach was just to force it, just to be like, you know what? You want the outcome. You define yourself by the ability to produce these outcomes. Your productivity is like the totality of your, your identity. Just push through, like suck it up. Yeah, go and get another, you know, your eighth coffee and just smash it out. <laughs> and doing that not only led to burnout, but it also meant that maybe I would get the task done, but it would take me 800% the amount of time to do it. And I'd sort of finish it, you know, feeling not that, not that thrilled with the quality of the work. And I think sometimes we get really attached to just finishing for the sake of it, not really thinking about, you know, how we got there and what it did to us in the process. What I found enormously revolutionary over the past few years, and we've, again, we have such a mutual love fest going on, by the way, guys, that we took about 15 minutes to press record. But 
we've already identified that the best thing we've ever done is have these built-in tripwires to stop the A-type momentum and enforce pauses and rest and mental health days and slowing down because actually the best way to speed up is to slow down, to get some distance. Now I'm much more kind and compassionate to myself. And if I am having a shit day, particularly if it's anxiety driven and, you know, much more serious than just sort of a lack of motivation, I'll maybe call it for that day and think, Nothing is urgent in my world. Like if people don't get their tea, it's important, but it's I'm not a paramedic, I'm not a heart surgeon. I way overinflate the how urgent and important I think my work is. <laughs> but you know, take a breather, go for a walk, take some distance from the work that you're doing, and you'll get a bit more perspective on what really can't wait till tomorrow. And your health has to come first because if you aren't feeling it, you're probably not going to get anything done anyway and you'll make up for it the next day when you're fresher and you've had some distance. Yeah, that's so true. And we're talking before we started that I'm actually taking a mental health day today after we finish this podcast this morning and I've pulled Clara out of childcare and we're just having a day off because at our company we absolutely instill this every six weeks. Our employees take a whole week off, you know, full pay, they have to take a break. And we've been noticing through isolation that a lot of us, a lot of us and a lot of them haven't been wanting to take the week off because there's nowhere to travel to. And it's been like, let's just keep working. And, and then their necks are getting sore because they're ergonomically at the computer all day and not taking these scheduled breaks. So I think that's so crucial, isn't it? And as type A, high-functioning human beings like we both are, and when we love our stuff, it is very easy to, to push through, but it's it's only our own expectations of ourselves. It's not like our communities are going, come on, hurry up with that rebrand. I've been waiting for it for about two months now. They're <laughs> doing a rebrand, you know. <laughs> and you put these really unrealistic expectations on yourself. So I think having those moments to, to prioritise self-care, I know you're big into self-care and into play. So how do you play during the day? You know, what are you, your things that you're doing to honour your self-care and to have some fun each day? <laughs> yeah. Just firstly have to say how much I admire the fact that you do value your employees' mental health and physical health and, and productivity so much that you do offer that six-week break because I think that's just such forward thinking and really, really admirable if there were more bosses around like you. I think the world would be a much, much brighter, more productive, but also more happy place. And one of my big shifts in thinking in terms of self-care has been that it used to be very, very superficial. It used to be exercise, eat some broccoli, like maybe, <laughs> maybe eat a little bit healthier it was very one-dimensional and that obviously didn't serve me. I still burnt out and I just didn't get it. I was like, dude, I have had so many cow smoothies this month. Like what is happening? And over time I've realized there's not just a huge element of physical and mental health in terms of rest and sleep quality, sleep duration, time off. There's also I almost alpha or A-type my rest into like ticking boxes. Like I get really like I need to be good at resting. I'm sure of it. I do to-do lists as well for self-care. I'm like, right, first of all, you're going to have a massage and then you're going to go meditate and then <laughs> Jason, 
can you please not type A your self-care? Like, yes, <laughs> that's exactly what I do. And I also found that I would allocate Sunday for a long, you know, hour-long walk with the dog, but then I'd listen to business podcasts or I'd try and like learn something and double make my time like doubly efficient. So the next stage of really learning about self-care was this idea of play that you mentioned and the idea that you can't just work and rest. It's not a binary equation. It's really a triangle. It's work, rest, and play. There needs to be some allocation of time, not just for like working and sleeping. We're not just here to like work and die. That's not the point. There needs to be joy and that's incredibly important for your mental health and productivity and just your overall satisfaction and fulfillment in life. And I kind of call those activities, you know, my test is whether I forget what time it is when I'm doing them. It has to engross you enough that you forget about the to-do list and the passing of time and where you are in the world and, you know, all your obligations. And I really make once a day at least, like even just a 15-minute to 20-minute or a one-hour Netflix episode, or I'll play with a dog without any devices. We signed up before isolation to gymnastics classes where we just, and not not gym like in the gym, but like tumbling into foam pits, falling around like five-year-olds. No goal to get better week to week. There's no like improvement aim. It's just like roll around like a total moron and just don't care what you look like crime books. I've really embraced fiction as not a waste of time. To me, that just, I'm so engrossed that it feels like hours have passed and I feel so rejuvenated after I finish, you know, get my nose out of a book. I've just found playing and observing that the most, not just the most successful, that's probably the wrong metric, but the, but the happiest people are people who have a great relationship with their work but also make time for a hobby that's purely for fun. And that's been, yeah, my favourite thing. You mentioned massage, absolute all-time favourite way to look after myself and suspend time. I love bubble baths. And I'm also, you know, I've really just let go of the idea that my rest needs to be intellectual and I will binge on a terrible show for hours. I'll watch a whole season. I love that because it is, it's very easy for us to go into, okay, I'm, I'm learning how to surf. Now every week I want to see improvements. I've got a surf coach. I want to get in green waves by you know, maybe barrels, you know, in about two and a half, you know, maybe months, like just completely unrealistic, by the way, because surfing is so hard. But it's, you're so right, like going into it with no agenda and just mucking around, just having fun, playing, let time pass. I read a really good fiction book actually just last week called Where the Crawdads Sing. Oh, my God, I love it. It's so oh, good. good. I'm like literally at nighttime, like, good night, Jay. It's 8.30. I'm like, I'm going to bed so I can literally tuck in <laughs> to this book. It was so good. But I loved that. I loved looking forward to, you know, the fiction reads because I'm like you, like every moment I was like, okay, I'm going to read a biography. And then when I'm walking in the morning, I'm listening to, you know, Jim Quick's podcast or your podcast or I'm, I'm constantly in this learning mode. I'm like, hang on, let's just have fun. Now when I go for a run, sometimes I just listen to music that pumps me up or, you know, and I, I find my daughter gives me a lot of that playtime as well. And I just get involved with role playing with her. Like she kind of chooses the game. And I'm like, whatever, darling, you tell me what you need me to do and I'm here with you. So, which is really cool. 
So I think that's such a big element, isn't it, that whole play? Because you're right, we don't want to skid into our coffin, you know, 50 years from now going, well, that was a pretty average ride. I just worked, <laughs> worked and slept. You know, you want to actually go, that was amazing. What an epic time I've had on this planet. So I really, really like that. And it kind of moves me into, you know, around our mental health journeys because I know that you have also, and to be honest, it's a bit of a, a trait with um, type A, highly functioning, intelligent human beings in terms of <laughs> a lot of them do suffer some form of anxiety. So if you're sitting there thinking I'm the only one that suffers anxiety, you're not. I actually would think the statistics are more around one in two people and especially the people that I work with because they are in corporate and high functioning. But I just wanted to say to you, Sarah, you know, thank you so much, honey, for, for being someone who actually does really normalise the conversation for mental health. And I was going to ask you a personal question actually around, you know, what does anxiety feel like for you? Because for everyone, it kind of feels a bit differently, but I think people get a good understanding there. Of, you know, what are symptoms like for you physically or psychologically? And it just, again, just removes that stigma of, hey, it's okay if you're not feeling okay. And these are some of the symptoms. So it's probably time to go and have a conversation with someone if you are feeling any of these things coming up for you. So if you, if you don't mind and if you feel comfortable sharing, I'd love you to share what it feels like for you when you're going through any kinds of anxious states. Yeah, I think that's such a great question. And it is a really big part of normalizing the conversation because I think there's a huge misconception, maybe not so much with depression or other forms of mental health challenges, but anxiety in particular, I think is a little bit of a misnomer because people just think you feel anxious which is a normal emotional state that's in the normal spectrum of a person's day-to-day emotions. And anxiety, to me at least, and to, in fact, most of the people I've spoken to who actually suffer from anxiety, anxious, the anxious emotion and anxiety are two complete, they manifest completely differently. And the name kind of makes you think, before I'd had experienced proper anxiety, I always used to think people who said they had anxiety, I was like, just chill out. Like, just watch, go to the beach or something. Like, just relax. (laughs) I just thought they were normal anxious, but just times 10 or something. You know, I really didn't understand that it was a completely different feeling. They're just, the name is very confusing. So for me, it manifests, I actually wrote a blog on this sort of as a blow by blow for this exact reason to reach out to other people who might be experiencing it because it doesn't, it's not what I used to think anxiety would feel like. And also again, to normalize it. And at a low level, dull, chronic level that I might experience, you know, and, and still be able to work on days where it's just sort of in the background, but not completely crippling. uh, I try and explain it as if just imagine someone had called you and said, you you know, your loved one, something's happened and then they hang up and they can't give you any more information and they leave you hanging for like a day. So you've got this impending sense of doom, like you know something's happened. It's not attached necessarily to anything though. It's not a tangible like, you know, there's going to be an earthquake. It's just this anonymous sense of, oh, my God, something's wrong. Something terrible is going to happen. Your stomach clenches. You know that physical response you get where your stomach's just so clenched because you're like waiting and you're kind of a bit clammy and your heart's racing and you just can't, no matter what you do in that state, it doesn't matter where you were. If you got a massage, you wouldn't enjoy it. If you went to the beach, like nothing would relieve that sense of just something's going to happen and it's not necessarily a positive thing. And so I sometimes sit in that 
clenched, resistant feeling of it blocks out all the other emotions that you might have because it fills up so much of your your brain that I get also a corresponding feeling of resistance towards doing anything productive. Like a work email will really overwhelm me. I'll just be like, oh, I can't, I'm not in the mental space. I can't think clearly. I'm just not really feeling it. And that can last for, for quite a while. I often, uh, well, not often anymore, but at, in the beginning, it manifested also in quite severe panic attacks which would be just the severe escalation of that every now and then. Again, not necessarily related to any trigger. They just came on. And that would be where it would actually be so physiological and so not emotional that I thought I was having a heart attack. So your heart races almost to the point where it's like jumping out of your your neck, like people can see your pulse on the outside. I would get numb or tingly. So I get numb in my hands. They'd start to tingle and then they'd go numb and then your throat kind of starts to constrict a little bit. It, it was entirely physiological. And I was at the start so confused when someone told me it was anxiety. I was like, wait, no, I'm, I'm having a physical reaction, like an allergy or, you know, this is not, I'm not just anxious. Like I'm chill. I was just watching TV. And I think now I understand that anxiety as a condition is actually very physiological as opposed to feeling anxious, which is a completely natural phase. We all feel anxious and there's definitely a normal level that's not anxiety. So if you do feel anxious from time to time, that's okay. But yeah, that's how it manifests for me. And it affects my appetite sometimes, affects my sleep. But above all, the biggest thing I want to, you know, sort of remind people of is that even though it does sort of change the way that I do things, I still have an enormously excitable, fulfilling life. It's totally manageable. It doesn't change your ability to have a great time, to achieve great things. It's just something you work around. It's like a physical injury. If you you know, have a shoulder issue, you can still do life. You just have to work around it. It's so true, Sarah. And when I was suffering really bad sort of panic attacks and anxiety and I was in hospital, my psychiatrist actually said to me, and she flicked the lens on it. She's like, you know what? Be grateful that you have anxiety. And I'm like, what? I do not want this. I'm a nice person. Why do I suffer anxiety? And she's like, it's not about being nice or not nice, Chelsea, but, but the reason why you're successful in your career is because you've got a little bit of anxiety because it makes you a go-getter. It makes you driven. And I thought, what a beautiful way to look at anxiety. And then she said, and what I say to my depressed patients is, be grateful that you have that because without the storm and the rain, you don't get the full spectrum of the sunshine. So she said the ones that feel every emotion on the most extreme degrees. And I thought that is such a beautiful way to look at the anxiety or depression rather than trying to run away from it. So I find, you know, for me as well, like if I ever, if my sleep ever gets impacted, I know that's a physiological response to me going, how interesting. I must be feeling overwhelmed internally right now because my sleep is getting impacted. It is time to kind of scale right back and really nourish myself over the next couple of days because I know that if I don't do that and pick it up early, the for me as well, going down that path, you know, five years ago, it, it sounds like our anxiety used to manifest very, very similar into the body and also I would actually lose vision. So I would feel like if I was driving the car, 
I'm going to fight. I can't see. I'm going to faint. I'm going to crash the car. I'll die. I'd get the pins and needles. I'd get the forearm tension. I would, my heart rate would be going through the roof. I'd feel really sick in the stomach. Then I couldn't see. And I'm like, how amazing is that? That the brain, they're in this anxious state, but then it expresses in all these physical symptoms. And I know so many people have been admitted to the hospital with an assumed heart attack, but it's actually a panic attack. And so I think, you know, for people listening is that, you know, it is, you know, if you are going through it, not alone, that's first of all, to have an incredible life. You just need to know what your triggers are and how to manage it. And so this kind of leads me to my last question for you, Sarah, is that you know that this is a part of us. You know, we kind of have got it in the genetic makeup. It's a part of our cloaks. Therefore, if you do notice any triggers, so if it's your appetite goes or you notice that, you know, that one email is going to overwhelm you, what do you do? What are your go-to techniques to calm you back down and kind of just, you know, calm the beast down and go, okay, I know you're here. I'm going to accept it and welcome you in. And then I've got ways to actually be okay with this. And this is what I'm going to do to help it. Yeah. Well, just a couple of things. Um, Firstly, it's so interesting that you said that people, you know, have been admitted to hospital because the first major panic attack I had, I called the ambulance. I have never called an ambulance in my entire life. It was the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened because they were just like, oh, it's just a panic attack. I was like, no, 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 no. Take me. I'm having a heart attack. I'm dying. Like this is what, why aren't you taking me seriously? so scary honestly I've been underneath the Sydney tunnel before harbour tunnel I had to pull the car over and I literally jumped into the back seat right like and and so security could see this like SUV pull over to the side of the tunnel and then the driver's missing so they sent all (laughs) they sent the police they sent like all the officers and here I am laying on my back seat of my car having a panic attack and just lying there just deep breathing because I didn't know what it was so I'm like oh my god I'm gonna die and then these the police are like what are you doing and I'm like I couldn't see so I just pulled the car over and just thought I'd jump in my back of my seat and just wait for a little while for it to I like it's so funny in hindsight but like obviously at the time it's terrifying and but yeah I just I think that's such a good reminder to everyone Firstly, that the symptoms can manifest in ways that you would never expect would come from your brain, but also that we've all had that moment of like, what the actual fuck is happening to me? I know. If anyone could see me right now, like, what the? Yeah. (laughs) But I think also another reminder is that that was, at least for me, and it sounds like for you very, very early on in the journey, as a warning sign to make you sort of treat it seriously. But then after that, now, I mean, that hasn't happened in five years because I've been able to manage it. So to your question, one of the most frustrating parts of this whole learning process, but also another reason why I'm often quite grateful for this experience is it's very humbling because there's no quick fix. There's no, oh, I feel a bit anxious. I'm going to do a meditation. It's going to feel better. It's almost like a one month, like a fortnight to a one month cycle of buffer where you have to do the work for that long to preempt that you won't have it a month later. And that's like for someone like you and I, that is incredibly annoying that you have to like, (laughs) something is, you've got to be patient. Like you can't outsmart it and just like double productive yourself. You can't meditate for 20 hours and then you know, feel good for the next 20 days. Totally, yeah. 
So I've had to learn, like you have to be A, consistent and B, do it before you feel that you need to because that's when it matters to prevent it happening in the future. And it's definitely an ongoing process. It's not something that you can do on the spot. If I do get those triggers of the clench resistance feeling and heavy heart rate and the numbing, I've screwed it. Like I've gone too far and all I can do is, you know, call it, take some, take a proper mental health day to regroup. But then the work that I do from then will not be for now. It will be for the, for the future to realize that, you know, I need to start getting back on track. So for me, that's been meditating. I meditate every day. I found it incredibly, incredibly helpful. And again, one of those things that is not an instant fix. It takes a while for you to get into the habit, but your brain that I feel like you only notice the difference when you've done it for a while and then you stop and you realize how beneficial it really has been. The science is out there. If you're a skeptic, which I definitely used to be before I turned full woo-woo, you don't even have to believe that it works for it to work. So it's been incredibly, yeah, incredibly valuable. Exercise, I have found that sometimes my reaction is lethargy and I just don't want to move my body and I find I don't want to go outside. I just, you know, get into a bit of a cozy fetal position and just never want to go out. But pushing through that and even just a a half an hour walk every few days has been proven to really, really help your mental health for flushing the blood around your body, getting some fresh air. You can't not move your body and expect your brain to kind of do what you want it to do. So that's been enormously helpful. And stimulation, really. I've learned that there's obviously burnout level negative stimulation, but it's also, and I still am in denial about this, but it's actually possible to have too much of a good thing as well. So even if you're living your dream and you're loving everything, and even if you spent all week hanging out with your friends and not doing any work at all, that's still stimulation and your body is still processing information and it's got, you know, the environment is having an impact on you. You're thinking, you're using energy in interacting. Even that could be too much for your brain and we're constantly bombarded with information and stimulus. So I've literally had to kind of do the stopgap that you do every six weeks, but for myself every seven days. And on Sunday, I just don't use my phone. I try not to be on devices. I don't know what time it is all day. I'll sleep in until I wake up. I have a goal to move as little as possible. It's my sloth Sunday, I call it, where I'll just have a bath and then I'll refill the bath. And I just try not to have any guilt about actually just being like a blob. And it's the best. Sloth Sunday. It's <laughs> so good. How nice is that not waking up with any digital either and you just wake up with a really like unstructured day. I think that's so crucial and we do that with our family as well where it's kind of like the world can't find us on a Sunday and I find that really refreshing and quite liberating. So we, you know, we just literally get out in nature. Uh, we probably do more movement than maybe than the Sloth Sunday but we're not we're not on our devices and I honestly feel maybe for you too like I feel like that one day feels like two weeks Mm. you feel like because no one can find you you're not you're not reactive to the external world and I just find that when I'm actually at the beach and running into friends 
we're just having truly mindful conversations and it's so lovely like yeah. not being to the tech like it's just such a good circuit breaker and it's, it's really it's definitely like we need it for our work during the week so I I know that it's unrealistic to sort of be like a you know completely liberated from the tech world and and it's fine we can, I can totally survive the rest of the week if I just have this one day it kind of makes up for everything else and I think what a lot of people lack is they don't even have any counterbalance. Your counterbalance might only need to be half a Sunday or a couple of hours on a Sunday, whatever it is, as long as you're balancing out how intense our lives require it to be for the rest of the week. I find, you know, we go, we walk the dog, but we leave our phones at home and we'll go and do a crossword, like a physical crossword in real life. What? What is that? It's the best. And, you know, I, I, I could probably survive even on just that routine of... Yeah. The walk, right. the crossword, the coming home, not caring what time we get home, and then I already feel refreshed after that. It's so good. I think you've given so many good little tips in this podcast, Sarah. I think it's uh, – I love what you're doing. I love that you've got a book coming out. Can you tell our audience when that's happening and maybe just a little – are you allowed to tell tell us that? Like yeah. A little, yeah, yeah, yeah. About and, and then also where people can find more out about you. That'll be amazing. Yeah, for sure. It comes out officially on September 1st, but pre-sale should actually be starting within the next few weeks, which is super exciting. Um, Sarah, that's really important. We all support, we're massive, our community in supporting local Australian businesses and entrepreneurs. So my community is really good kind of stuff. So make sure that we support Sarah with this. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and it, it's pretty much, it's a nonfiction book. It's it's pretty much sees the A as a concept, the idea of breaking the autopilot circuit, that productivity hamster wheel, and changing the conversation from, you know, measuring our life by metrics of success and financial goals, which are, of course, important, but turning the dialogue a little bit more around to what lights you up, what makes you feel like your talents and your skills are united the most, and then those other metrics fall into place if that first dialogue is where you lead from. And just kind of goes through 12, I love quotes, so it goes through 12 chapters that are each kind of dedicated to a major quote on a major theme that takes you through all areas of your life and refines them from one way of thinking to the new with my story weaved in, lots of other people's stories weaved in, either people I have interviewed on the podcast or complete other people like who just have really interesting stories or who have experienced something on you know that topic. So it goes through the first one is self-doubt, then there's comparison, so that's like doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. Comparison is a thief of joy. You're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with is the people chapter. And it just, yeah, just goes through like that. Oh, I can't wait to read that. It's going to be brilliant. That's going to be my new bedside table book for sure in the next month. <laughs> I think you need to tell people about your podcast, your cafe, your Instagram, so, so they can get around you because I think... If you like EQ Minds, you're going to absolutely love Sarah Davidson. So really important that they know where, where to find you there. Oh, that's so kind of you. <laughs> so you can find the podcast. It's called Seize the Yay, obviously, on 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere you find your podcasts. The cafe is in St Kilda. If any of you are in Melbourne and have a chance to visit, we're back open seven days. You can find us at matcha underscore milk bar with a Y, M-Y-L-K-B-A-R. Matcha underscore maiden is the original business. C's underscore the underscore yay is the podcast. And spoonful underscore of underscore Sarah is my main account. I kind of live on the internet a little bit, but except on Sundays. (laughs) That's amazing. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure having you a part of this chat. Thank you. Thank you so much for having these wonderful conversations and the very insightful questions and yourself sharing so openly as well. I think you're really encouraging a wonderful conversation. Thanks, lovely. We're all in this together, so we've got to help each other. So I think it's so valuable to be able to do that for the mental health, definitely for the mental health arena as well. So thank you, lovely. Have a beautiful day. We're about to have a mental health day here at EQ Minds. So enjoy. I'm very excited. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. To continue on your calm journey, I really encourage you to download a free ebook on how to live a calmer life. Simply head to eqminds.com to receive your free copy. And if you're in a really good mood, please feel free to give us a five star rating. It helps other people find the podcast. And then together we can help other people with their mental health and well-being. Thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. And we'll see you again in a week. This podcast is for information purposes only. Any advice is not a substitute for medical guidance. Any use of information contained in this podcast is used at the user's own risk.